1: All right, every single Friday, I'm going to do a video on my book writing. So a lot of people have asked me, saying you've written two books, you're writing another book. What does the process look like? How do you decide what to write about? How do you do research? How do you figure out what services you're going to go with? How do you figure out the timeline? How do you do interviews? A ton of questions. And I've been doing that one-on-one with so many people. So I finally decided to release a video which will be in the Peak Community, but the audio will be right here. So if you want to see a lot more notes, a lot more commentary, go check out Peak Community. Uh, But if you want to just hear the journey every single Friday, I'm just going to drop in a video right here for you. And if you have any questions, just hit me up on LinkedIn, and I would make sure that I cover that up um, in these videos. And again, this this is scary for me, but I hope you can follow along. And along the way, if some of you get inspired and do write their own book, I want to make sure that I can help you in every way possible. So right now, starting today, check this out. Thank you, Ramir. Welcome to Flip My Phone Podcast. All right. Everybody knows this uh, so far who've been listening to the podcast that I typically interview people. I just know, like, and it's been over 400 episodes now. And believe it or not, I haven't really done a whole bunch of people that I don't know personally. And so I wet a whole lot when I don't know somebody personally and really love recommendations. So as you are sending me recommendations, please go ahead and send it to, to me on LinkedIn. But I heard a lot about Robert Gleiser. Uh, Glazer, and you can tell me if I mispronounce that part, but you go, by, I've always struggled with Bob or Robert. So I think you're going to go with Bob before we start recording. But he's coming up with this incredible book called Elevate. And one of the reasons I wanted to interview Bob is because his Friday forward note, I've been reading that almost every Friday. And we are going to jump into some of the the latest notes that he wrote around blame game and and also about toxic employees. But I think the overall theme for this episode is all around performance, personal performance, company performance, marketing performance. I think we all want to be highly productive and perform at our best levels, our highest levels. So I think I think Bob has a lot to say on this topic. So Bob, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks, Angram. said to be here.
1: Yeah. Awesome, man. So, so share stuff about you because you've written a couple of books. Your Elevate book is about to come out in, I don't know, like three, four months from now. And uh, you have been a prolific writer, speaker out there, uh, especially your Friday forward seems to just hit really a lot of nerve. For a lot of people, I, I think it's really exactly what they need to hear. So just give us a little bit about history about yourself and then share a fun fact.
0: Sure. So history about myself. We've been, Acceleration Partners is about 12 years old. We've developed into, I think, the leading global partner marketing agency. Um, we we spend a lot of time both, you know, on what we do and and, and how we do it. So I, I equate our company a little bit like a teaching hospital. I, You know, in terms of a teaching company, I think we like to try new things, innovate, do things that are really change the work-life paradigm, and then share those learnings with other people who want to build great companies since, uh, you know, we don't, we don't consider that um, proprietary. So I, that's why I spent a lot of my time on sort of our, our culture and strategy and then doing a lot of, of sharing on that. And, and I started doing a lot more uh, writing over the last few years and I really enjoyed that. And that sort of, you know, developed into its own own little side gig.
1: Yeah. That is fantastic. So share a fun fact. And then I have a question about your company because I was doing some research on this and I was blown away with one of the facts. Uh, So I'm going to jump into that in a second. But what's one fun fact that you want to share with everybody?
0: Fun fact. Yeah, I, I, I have a little bit of an obsession with airplanes. And I can usually tell you, if you tell me a route, like who's flying it and which plane it is. And I have a few friends who can like are, are way above that. But I, I've I've always had a fascination with, with airplanes. And I, I can play some stupid trivia uh, with that if are interested.
1: Awesome. Well, what's, what's one drug? All right. What's the biggest airplane out there?
0: Biggest airplane is the A380. Yeah. Yeah. Com- there's some <laughs> Army planes that are, that are, that are bigger, but, but that is actually, that airplane, that's the du- two row one, but they're actually canceling that program um, because the, the push now is for these twin engine long range planes that are just burn a lot more gas, a lot right. less gas. Well, I mean,
1: what are we going to say? I'm going to go with it because I have no idea, but I, I do, I'm curious, what is the fastest plane?
0: No. So I don't. I don't actually know. I. I think all the planes. They're more regulated. Uh, there's some people trying to reinvent the 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 Concord, You know, Concord yeah. planes that break the speed of sound. But I, I. I think the planes can go faster. They're just not not allowed to. But you know, Boston's been, been one of these cities that has just really benefited by this explosion in these kind of long range mid sized planes. We've we've, I think doubled our direct flights internationally in the last ten years, and it's totally. Yeah. Really changed where everyone can go from Boston on a direct flight.
1: Yeah, I love it. I love Boston. All right, so let's talk about performance. Yeah, how how do you define performance? I think everybody kind of gets a feel like, yeah, we want to perform better. Um, What's your take on it?
0: Yeah, so let me talk marketing first uh, because that's that's a big question. You know, and the the term performance marketing has just become a catch-all. You know, and I think there's there's a real difference between Paying for performance and measuring performance and know you knowing you lost your shirt or that it did well right so i I think in general, like with all the data we have more and more people can can measure the result of something. I think that's really different than establishing a relationship where you pay for a good outcome and don't pay for a bad outcome. you know that's really what we focus on because we just believe in that. We think that you know marketing you shouldn't pay a lot of money for stuff. It doesn't work. And, and marketing has historically been this sort of win-lose game where someone has to win and someone has to lose. Um, I, it, this goes back to like the Daily Candy, you know, newsletter 20 years ago where it was like, hey, if you're in the Daily Candy, it made your business. Well, that's because you got in early and, and and the ROI was good, right? Nothing is absolute. Then when they upped the rates 20x, then everyone was losing money, you know, in the, in the, in the Daily Candy. So, this, this continues with all of our auction format advertising we have today, which is that once enough people crowd into it, it's really hard for, for anyone um, to make money. Yeah. So, I mean, being a lot of the
1: listeners are in marketing and sales, listening to this podcast, and, and definitely in a lot of leadership positions, do you feel that marketing in B2B is different than B2C in terms of performance measurement and how they think about it?
0: Well, we're actually seeing a blend and I think some of the principles cross over. We're doing a lot of B2SMB, you know, I would say. But the, the the thing that's interesting is that, I, you know, it, it's almost the same principles as B2B. B. You know, how do you scale this? How do you reach a lot of people? I know exactly what a customer's worth. I'm willing to pay a commission to my sales team on what a customer's worth. You can kind of take that framework and create a whole virtual sales team for your product or service and have them out there you know, selling for you and getting paid um, when it works. So I do, I think the principles have sort of crossed over a little bit. We're seeing, we're seeing a lot more of the kind of affiliate type technology and relationship come into B2B in the small business world where they realize particularly if there's targeting small businesses, like I'm not going to call all these people one-to-one, but if we can find, you know, some websites or some partners that really aggregate where these people go to find out about tools and services, then we can set up a, a performance-based relationship with them.
1: Oh wow, I, I totally see that. And and do you work a lot with B2B or do you work a lot with B2C?
0: We work mostly with B2C. I, I think B2B is coming into the space now. It's definitely the newer part. It really depends on, on on what it is they're doing. But we do. It's a lot of B2SMB. That 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 is, uh, you know, that's an area that we're that we're seeing a lot like with credit card processing or other services that really target kind of uh new and emerging businesses.
1: Gotcha. All right. So let's talk about this post that you wrote on LinkedIn that got my attention.
0: Yeah.
1: In this post, and I think this is the title of your post. Most toxic employees in your company aren't the one who quits or yeah. aren't the one who, who are leaving. What do you mean by that? And where do you get that idea?
0: Yeah. So everyone's, you know, I talk a lot about having more open transitions. We, I did a uh, TED talk on this. We have a program called Mindful Transition here, where we just facilitate open conversations when people may want to do something different, or we think they may want to do something different. And, and we have a lot of people at transition period. They might be working here and interviewing elsewhere. And people all the time will say to me, oh, well, how can you have them work there if they're leaving? You know, aren't, aren't you worried they're going to start destroying your company and doing all this terrible stuff. And and I would say, look, the people that are going to going to do that have already done that. So the people who quit but stay are the most toxic people to your organization. They have decided they're gone. You know, they have decided, you know, I I even had a friend who spent a year planning his sort of ouster. So, you know, and and it's just a matter of they're mentally gone and, and you just don't know it yet. So you're just comfortable in the unknown. And I always say the devil we know is much better than the devil we don't know. So I would rather know that an employee is moving on and sort of working with them than, you know, them having made that mental decision. And they're just sitting there collecting a paycheck until they can find something better. Those, those, those are actually, the people who quit and leave do you a favor. The people who quit and stay, huge problem.
1: I love that. And I, I mean, you know, we, at Terminus, we grew from, we, we started about 20, late 2014, 2015. So it's been like about five years. And we went from almost like three co-founders now to about, you know, closing to 200 people. Yeah. We've seen a lot of growth and I can totally see like people in the very early stage of the company that were like phenomenal uh, at our growth stage. And some of them grew with the company because it's just a different mindset as as you grow. And some of them didn't grow. They just wanted to be where the company was uh, in the very early stages where everybody knew everything and everything just worked, Like you just have to look over to the other person, and they get the job done. It's a very right. different place when you are like you know 150 to 200 people in multiple different locations. Now um, we acquired a company. So a lot of lot of things change, and uh, I I think it's as as you I, I saw a lot of times. I feel like it's easy for organizations to do these email communications and these uh, once-in-a-while town hall meetings or all-hands meetings, but not have a two-way communication to really understand what's going on with different people, what are the best practices in your mind to just encourage this open conversation so people would come out of their closet?
0: Yeah, so first of all, I agree with everything you said. As the company grows, you have, you know, if you have a supply curve, like here are your needs. And then here's the ability of, of people. And if you're growing 40% a year, people might need to get 40% better a year just to stay in the role. And and so I think this is why someone who maybe was struggling could do better because now they actually, they do better with a bigger team or someone who is doing well is now struggling because they're from a doer to a manager. So I've consistently heard the stat that every time your company doubles, you break half your people and half your processes. And I think that's true. So this this is just where the honest conversations, hey, do you like this role? Is this what you want to do? Should there, can we find something else for you to do? Or frankly, do you want to go find another company and do that same role that we don't, we don't have anymore? So what happens is that we, we rather than have an uncomfortable conversation and, and lean into the relationship, psychologically, we distance ourselves from the person when we know that we have to have an uncomfortable conversation and they kind of, we, we make them out to be kind of a bad person or whatever, so that we feel better about what we have to do. It's, I I think it's strongly cognitive dissonance versus sitting down and having that conversation. And said, you know, the person says, you know what, I used to love this job and I don't anymore. Okay, great. Well, let's, let's talk about what that means. Not okay. Leave and walk out the door today. I mean, that's just not, not productive for, for anyone. So we, we talk about our early warning kind of detection radar you know, I, I think we try to do a bunch of different things. You know, we have quarterly check-ins. Those all end with, are you present? Are you happy? Are you present? Are you engaged? We have like a weekly pulse thing that our all of our employees get. They get a question and uh, anonymous comments. We have town halls. We have tons of ways to get feedback so that we try to catch these early things and, and, and address them before, you know, they become that real problem down the line and. You know, oftentimes if one person has the problem, then maybe multiple people have the have the problem. So I, I, I just I'm a big believer of the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know, and and you know some honest and you know conversations that they're not always comfortable, but they're honest. I I think you know particularly with you know the millennials and Gen Z, you know one of the things they're just used they're not used to confrontation and in-person discussions. It is, you know, you get dumped via text, you get asked out via messenger and all this stuff. So a lot of times, you know, pulling people into having this conversation is the first time that they've, they've done it. But that's why you're trying to create kind of a safe and healthy and you know, respectful environment.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I think we're going to dive into this uh, a little bit more. Uh, like as the company this is way well put, as the company grows, let's say 40%, um, maybe as an individual, you will also need to grow at the same rate, and I think yeah. that that I mean that's a really and, and, and
0: most people can't do that. So to yeah. be fair, so let's say that that's that curve. So this year I need an associate. Next year I need a manager. Next year I need a director in marketing, right? So the person was the top person in marketing, and they moved from associate to manager. Well, it's not likely that they'll be able to move director in a year. So they have to get comfortable with someone coming in at the director level. and say, look, you just, you've done great. Like, it's just, you can't get, like, you can't go from a controller to CFO in three years, right? It's just, or I'm sorry, a bookkeeper to CFO in three years. But if the company grew 10x, then it would need all of those things. I think ego really gets in the way. I've talked to a lot of other CEOs. For people who are growing 20% a year, but the role is growing 40, like, that's great. And like, there's a role for them to play. But they've got to understand that based on the needs, the company is going to have to make other decisions. And I think pride really gets in the way for a lot of people there. And they can't adjust to that. You know, the one thing I always say is like, I don't I don't believe in the phrase, it's just business like at all. But I think there are, there are the reality of this is actually what the company needs. And and we can't ignore that, combined with the discussion of, what are you good at and what do you want to do? And where where does that not fit? So you know, saying, oh, it's just business, like that's a, that's a weak you know, yeah. thing to say. But saying, hey, here's what the company needs. And frankly, like I can't let you do this role because you're not there. And, and, and I'd be putting the company at, at risk to do that. So the best example I have is I have a friend who let – his company was growing exponentially and right, kind of let that bookkeeper become a troller, controller, become a CFO, and they made like a million-dollar mistake. Right, it just they were not at that level, and that is what the company needed.
1: Yeah, I love this. And we have, uh, I mean, it reminds me of Ben, Ben Warren, who's in our company, uh, has been in the company from day one. And as we grew, obviously, with the number of employees and, and just revenue wise, he was the first one to, to bring up said hey guys i don't think i'm right to actually handle this level of things like now we're about to go do an acquisition i'm like i've never done an acquisition before uh, i don't know all the things it takes so he was super he's like hey we need to we need to get somebody here and then we when we hired the cfo he just became so best friend and he's like cfo you've done this cap our cfo you've done this so many more times over. You have taken companies public, you have done acquisitions, you understand debt, you understand all, all these different things that come together. He and her are now like best friends and he's like just soaking it in every day because he knows five years from now, he's going to be able to do all those things and this is like the best learning experience for him. So I think for people who's listening to this, um, you know, if you are on the ego pride train um, that, that that Bob is talking about, I think it's opportunity to think about like, man, this is actually the best thing that happened for you because now you get to just learn on the job and get paid for it. I mean, it's, there's nothing better than that. So, good. And, and
0: look, this is most true for founders, right? I think yeah. someone asked me this yesterday. I'm like, a lot of founders don't like or want the CEO role, right? I, I think they'd be better off saying, you know what? I want to be the marketing guy. I want to be the sales guy or woman. I want to be this, like, but but don't take that role if you don't want it and you don't want to do what's necessary. And and I, I always say, like, you really shouldn't call yourself a CEO. and unless you have an exec team, right? You're not a CEO yeah. if you're running every function in the company, you're a micromanager who's, yeah. who's doing everything. Like the job of the CEO is to manage a leadership team.
1: That's great. So one of the things I saw as I was doing some research is your company has 100% approval rating for the CEO and like for you and the leadership team, that's like phenomenal. I haven't really heard, so congratulations on that, that kind of glass door rating.
0: Thanks, yeah, look, we try to be really uh, my, my thing is like, we just try to be honest with people. We are, we are, we think we're a great place to work for a certain type of people and, and, and not for everyone. And so we're, we, we do what we say and we say what we do. And if people don't like working at acceleration partners, I think they would say, you know what, they are very consistent with what they say and what we do. And it's not for me. Like it's kind of in sports. If you're like a running back and you realize you went to a passing team and like you need to get on a team that runs, runs more. I, I don't think, People who would work there would say, "Oh, they're full of it," and they say one thing or do another. They'd say, "Oh, you know what? They're actually really consistent," and and that wasn't the best fit for me. So, I, you know, I I just think that reflects our focus on on authenticity, you know, and and just you know telling people what we believe is the truth, not necessarily what they want to hear. And yeah. I, I always say, I believe we are a great place to work for about one percent of the population, and and our our job is to to find that 1% and to convince the other 99%, you know, not to work here.
1: <laughs> I love that. All right. So you, one of the things you wrote recently on your Friday uh, forward is this whole idea around blame and yeah. you unpacked that because that obviously went kind of crazy uh, on LinkedIn as I saw it.
0: Yeah. So I I started telling a story about, you know, years ago we had this core value of accountability and actually that first time our company really doubled to 5 million and we were seeing stuff breaking. We were like, what is, what is wrong with, and we had six core values and we narrowed it to three. Where where are we missing this, this accountability core value? Just some people who seem accountable, but they're, they're not like to, to what we, what we need. And what we realized was, when we were growing and in this firefighting mode, you know, they were accountable for coming in, you know, the fire, putting in the hours, all that stuff. But now we wanted people who would think ahead and plan and sort of, instead of playing a million positions, own one and own the KPI for that. And some of the people really had a problem making that transition. And we realized that what they were accountable for inputs and not, they were not outputs or things that, well, I could be accountable for doing the work, but I don't control that stuff. Well, in business, there's a lot of stuff you don't control. You can't nuance that. If you say to a salesperson, your quota is a million dollars, they don't know where that's coming from, but they, they own their quota and they got to go figure, figure it out. So, so we updated the core value to own it and it's really become part of our vernacular. And, and we say to people, look, you just own this. You own the good, the bad, the ugly related with it. And there's people who, who want to do that and don't. And then, you know, I shared a story that my friend Jason Gaynard, who's the founder of Mastermind Talks, posted on Facebook just a great story about how he got this ticket, a $500 ticket just for looking at his phone at a red light, which is illegal in Canada. And, you know, that he had been talking to his kids about the importance of taking ownership and control. he's like, look, I, I, I got the ticket. I earned it. I feel grateful for it. Like years ago, I would have been looking to blame everyone else. And I did the crime and I'll do the time or the fine, I guess, in this case. And I, I, I would just, particularly in politics, we just don't see it Today, I mean, there's an amazing book, Extreme Ownership, that we read by Jocko Willick, and just where you just put everything on yourself. It's just so much better to be like, yeah, my fault. Like, here's what I could have done better, and just look in the mirror rather than start looking out the windows everywhere when stuff goes wrong. And I I mean, the politics, everyone is a critic. No one will apologize for anything. No one will say, hey, I shouldn't have done that. And, And I think people are just getting fatigued by it. Yeah. I
1: love that. All right. So I'm going to, I I took a bunch of notes on, yeah. on so I'm going to share some of the big ideas on it. And I want to love for you to share a challenge with everybody as they yeah. think about performance in their life, performance in marketing sales. And you've kind of connected a couple of other dots too, where I never thought of as a marketer, I never thought about it this way until you said it, which is a salesperson gets a quota and then just handed over and said, all right, you need to go. They they don't have control over the product roadmap or they don't have over the pricing. Really, they've just given it and they don't really have a whole bunch of control of people buying it, but they own it and their paycheck depends on it and they sign up for it and they go for it. So as a marketer, we need to have a ton of empathy for that and a ton of learnings from that. And on the same side, on the marketing side, I think what can we do to own the things in order to drive revenue? So there's a, there's a lot there. So a couple of things if this this is for people, I'm talking directly now to the people who are in positions that Bob talked about, which is they're in this quitting zone right now, and they are it's sitting there. and I think as Bob put it, I think it's really cool. quit and leave. If you really care about the people who you report to or the business and and for yourself or your own personal sake, quit and leave instead of quit and stay. I think there's a huge, huge personal accountability around that is. Not to quit uh, and stay, but quit and leave, and or quit and stay. So as much as it is the responsibility of the leader, it is also your responsibility as a person. Probably- yeah, and,
0: and, and you know, everyone wants the paycheck and the security, but you only have so much energy. So if you're already decided you want to do something different, it's better to put hundred percent your energy in that and, and, and find that opportunity than straddle between you know these two 100%. two worlds. Yeah, yeah and
1: to me to add to that, Bob, like a quick example for me was like. Years ago I did moonlight at a business for about three years. And we made every weekend, we did a whole bunch of stuff. And on the weekdays, I would go work. And so I was I was fully faithful to the, to the job I was doing, but also faithful to this new idea that we're trying to do. And what I found that after three years, the progress that we made was not enough because I wasn't like hundred percent fully right. dedicated to it. And when we started terminus, I realized that within three months, I felt like we made progress that I didn't do it in three years trying to do this thing. So by being fully committed, I just shifted like this whole moonlighting thing, just trying to do 50 different things, multitasking, trying to, trying to do everything, trying to check every box. It doesn't work. Like greatness only comes when you let right. go of certain things and get hold of certain things. So love that. Quit and leave or instead of quit and stay. So that's number one. Number two, Oh my, this is so good for everyone who is in a performance thing, which is like, I want to be super productive. I think people should put this out there. Or if your company is growing at 40%, you need to take, take action and look at yourself. Are you growing at 40%? Like that was so good, man. Like if you are, if your company is growing at hundred percent, are you growing at hundred percent? That should pretty much tell you, and you know yourself better. People don't need to tell you that. You know yourself better. So if you are in a company where you're uncomfortable, you feel like you don't understand why certain people are coming in from outside and why certain people have certain leadership roles and you have been there from, from day one and you do everything, but you still are not going, going in the organization. I know a lot of people think like that, but I think maybe you take a step back and look at are, is the company growing at a much different rate than you are? And I think that might answer some of that question. So I really, really love that part. And then, and then the last part, uh, one as people subscribe to your Friday forward, I think this idea of owning it as a core value, this total ownership, I think that's a lot. That's a lot that people can think about and think that how when do you take ownership? And it's not like well everything is like as a leader. Oh, if if something goes wrong, I am accountable or own it because I'm the leader. No, you really have to understand it, own it in a very different way. So there's a lot to unpack there. So I will. Really appreciate for people to go and check out. Like you can, Bob, you can share where people can go and sign up for some of the stuff that you do. And as you do that, also share a challenge with everybody listening to this episode right now and think about like, here's one thing you should do or think about.
0: Sure. So if they want to sign up for that note, uh, join the 100,000 people who get it each week. Uh, It's FridayFWD.com, or you can just Google Friday Forward, and it should be the top result. And then you can find all of my stuff and writing and podcast at uh, RobertGlazer.com. My my challenge and and something I actually talk about in my upcoming book, Elevate, would be, you know, I, I think a lot of people struggle on the difference between urgent and important. And they never get these big things done because they're constantly kind of checking off these little things. And and to me, it's amazing when you can get done, when you sort of align and reprioritize. So, so I would say, take something that you big, that you've wanted to do, whether it's writing a book, getting a new job, whatever it is, this next quarter, you know, define where you want to be in 90 days, break that out into 12 weeks, 12 steps that you can take towards that thing. And then each week, do something that day towards that weekly step. And, and and again, you're allocating maybe 10 or 30 minutes of time each day that you're taking away from looking at people's food on Instagram or Facebook or elsewhere. You're, you're putting it all in a line, you know, domino line. And I promise you at the end of that quarter, you know, if it was the first 100 pages of your book or something, you will have that done. But if you just sit there and say, I want to write a book, I want to write a book, it, it, it sits as this monolithic goal that you'll 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 never actually achieve because it seems really hard rather than what you really need to do this quarter is write half a page every day of your book
1: i love that love that take action do it own it love that bob thank you so much uh, for this i'm sure people sign up for for newsletter i look forward to it every
0: friday thanks very much Sanger. you've been listening to the flip my funnel podcast